the formula for faith to be increased. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel, to the gospel of Luke, chapter 17? Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. As soon as you get there, would you please stand to give reverence to the Word of God if you have the strength and ability to stand? Luke chapter 17, there's 10 verses that we're going to spend some time in, but I'm only going to read the first five. You'll see right away the text that I draw from for the title and the theme of the message, but uh, we'll read the first five verses. I'll pray and then you may be seated and we'll read the last five. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse one, I'll read aloud as you follow in silence this evening. If you're sitting or standing next to someone who does not have a copy of God's word, would you please share with them? so that they can see these verses and see what God is speaking through, the, through his word. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, Then said he, that's Jesus, unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now watch verse 5. That's smack dab in the ten verses that we're focusing on. And the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless him. Please join me silently in prayer, especially if there's someone here that's lost, that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be saved. Father in heaven, we bow before you again tonight as we have done throughout the week. You've met with us in the chapel services and in the evening service, presentations, testimonies. You've met with us. We know it's you. Nobody else can take any credit for it. You are the one who's to be glorified. You are the one who's to be honored. You are the one who's to be magnified. And here we come again. We're needy people. I'm a needy preacher. Father, I'm feeble. I'm handicapped. I'm inept. I cannot do the task that is before me without you. And so I'm asking God that you'll take control of my heart and my mind and my tongue. And help me to say those words that you want me to say by the unction of the Holy Ghost that's in me and on me. I am prepared as I possibly can be for the preaching of this message. But you're the one who's going to have to preach it through me. There's many people here tonight. I don't know the needs. Many of them are yours, some may not be. Your word says that man looks on the outward appearance, but you look upon the heart. I look around, God, everybody looks okay to me. But what do you see? You see hurting hearts, wandering hearts, cold hearts, lost souls. Father, I pray that as you have promised that your word would never return void, that you will accomplish your divine purposes in this service tonight, and when all is said and done, we'll say thank you, Jesus, for it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. And all God's people said, 
Amen. And you may be seated. Let's pick it up at the 6th verse. We'll read down to the 10th verse. And the Lord said, now remember, this is a response to the request of verse 5. Are you all with me? Say amen. Now watch out. This is in response to their request in verse 5. What was their request? And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Title of the message is the formula for faith to be increased. The 6th verse, and the Lord said, if you had faith... As a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. Now watch now. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now I feel it necessary for me to make this statement, and I haven't made it this week because I'm home I'm with my church family. But there are people in the auditorium that have never heard me speak. Uh, and you all know this. I'm a very enthusiastic preacher. I don't apologize for it. It's the way God wired me. But sometimes people get offended at my enthusiasm. So if my enthusiasm offends you, please don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to God's word and the preaching of his word. That's kind of like a disclaimer, you know. I have a red letter edition of the Bible. That's not a big deal that I have a red letter edition of the Bible. But a red letter edition of the Bible means that everything that Jesus said that was put in Scripture on earth is in red. And if you read those ten verses in a red letter edition of the Bible, there's only one verse that's in black print. And that's in verse 5. Sandwich in between these ten verses is a request of the apostles. Now, I already said it this week that I am a contextual preacher. I believe in studying the Word of God in context and preaching the Word of God in context. We get, out, we get into trouble when we don't. And so in context, and we read the first four verses, verse 5 is an unusual place for them to request an increased faith. Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are just not sure what I'm talking about. Why? Because he's talking about forgiveness in the first four verses. Now, so I can't preach this message unless I cover the first four verses. It would not be contextual. Their request for an increased faith was in an unusual place. There were many other times that I think the apostles should have cried out for their faith to be increased. How about when they were on the ship and they were in a storm and they were afraid? Do you remember? And they cried out and, and said, Lord, we perish. Remember what Jesus was doing? He was sleeping. One gospel account says he was sleeping on a pillow. And, uh, and he got up and he rebuked the wind, did he not? Made the sea a calm. And then he rebuked them and said, oh, ye of little faith. Wouldn't that have been a good time for them to say, Lord, increase our faith. How about when they couldn't heal that little boy? Remember? Jesus was up in the mountains praying. The father brought his son to the, to the disciples and they couldn't heal him. 
He was demon-possessed, and finally Jesus came down, and, and the man came to Jesus and, and said, help me and, and heal my son. And, and he said, if you can help me. You don't say to Jesus, if. If you can help me. And so Jesus responds with an if. If thou believest, all thing is possible to them who believe. And he honestly confessed from his heart and said, I believe Help me with my unbelief. Two prayers got answered. His son got healed. And he became a believer. And so the disciples asked, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus told them that this comes, uh, not, does not come out, but without prayer and fasting. But that would have been a good time for them to say, Lord, increase our faith. But in the context, and the very first time I read this, Brother Beaver, first five jumped off the pages for me for why are they asking for increased faith when they didn't have the ability to forgive? Verses 1 through 4, maybe for somebody in this auditorium. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're not forgiving someone. You say, Prince, you don't know what they did. You're right, I don't know. But you know what? We crucified Jesus and he still forgave us. Amen. And so, when we can't forgive, then we don't understand forgiveness. And if we can't understand forgiveness, Jesus said, then we can't be forgiven. So you need to go to the one who designed forgiveness so that you can be able to understand what forgiveness is all about. Now, I have some thoughts of why the apostles had a problem with the lack of the ability to forgive. You have to remember that these guys left everything. You on the same page with me? Say amen. amen. I mean, they turned their backs on everything. James and John left their father Zebedee in the family fishing boat. That's a big deal. We may not understand that in our culture. We understand it in the gypsy culture because you always respect and honor your father and the business that your father puts you in, and that comes first. Dad and the business comes first. But James and John got up and left Zebedee in the ship. They turned their backs on everything. Peter left the wife and followed this guy who had a Messiah syndrome for three years. And so they were persecuted. They were mocked at. Their own brethren, everything they were doing, according to the Jews that followed the law of Moses, was anti-Jewish. Hello? Everybody thought they were going against the law of Moses. It would just be like a Jew converting today. When a Jew converts to Christ, he's disowned. And so, I believe, you may disagree, I believe they became bitter, Pastor Pete. I believe they came, became hard and calloused and weren't able to forgive. So when these verses, when it talks about Jesus says, offenses will come. And then he says, take heed to yourself in verse 3. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. Watch now verse 4. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Come on, seven times in a day? And that's when they said... Lord, increase our faith. Now, I had to cover that because it's context. But maybe 
Maybe you're here tonight and you can't forgive. Then you need to realize what God has forgiven in your life to make you a child of God. It's an unusual place to ask for forgiveness. You see, when Jesus was asked of the greatest commandment, he said that the, the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22 is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, watch now, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he went on to make this statement. On these two commandments, watch now church, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The hinge of our Bible is two basic commandments. It's not that complicated. Love God with heart, soul, and mind. Well, that's easy. Hello? He doesn't make any mistakes. It's the second commandment that's a little tougher. Love thy neighbor as thyself. He makes mistakes. We on the same page here? When you divide the Ten Commandments into two sections, the first section is in reverence to God. Right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. On and on. The second section of the Ten Commandments is against man. First it's upward, then it gets, it's outward. Don't steal. Who do you steal from? Man. Hmm? Don't covet. Who do you covet from? Man. So the Ten Commandments are two basic commands. One in relationship to God, the other in relationship to our neighbor. Now, with that out of the way, we can go on. We live in a day and age of such little faith. Luke chapter 18, verse 8 says, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's a question that remains to be answered. A great faith is needed for the, what we've seen these missionaries present to us this week. If we're going to impact Zimbabwe, if we're going to impact Halifax, Nova Scotia, and matter of fact, I used to preach in Halifax, Nova Scotia annually. There's a church there. I used to go there every year. Whatever the situation was, they couldn't send my support to the states. And so I used to go there, preach a revival for them, and collect a year's support, Pastor Pete. It was sweet. And Halifax is an international city. You can reach the world from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And so how, how, we need faith in order to send these missionaries to Halifax. So we need faith to continue to print more Bibles. We need faith to send these missionaries to Calgary. We need faith to send them to Zimbabwe. We need faith. And when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? We need a great faith that's needed for our cities, for our nation, for our world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15, Not boasting of things without measure, that is of other man's labors, but having hope, watch now, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged, by you according to our rule abundantly. Paul says we can't get the job done, church, until your faith is increased. Hello? We need the children of God, the saints of God, to be increased faith Christians. I already said to you last night, according to Romans chapter 14, that doubt is sin. That which is not of faith is sin. What do we do with sin? We confess it. We claim 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins, watch this, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9. And so what should Christians be doing who are living with weak or little faith that should be at the altars? Crying out this verse right here. Verse 5. Lord, increase my faith. Without faith there is no hope. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think I've said this here before. The gypsy language is a limited vocabulary language. The language is not updated. By and large, it's unwritten. I have to write in the gypsy language to correspond with our nationals. I speak a little Hungarian. I speak a little Romanian, but I can't write in it. And so I write to them in gypsy, but I try to use their phonics whenever I can. And because it's a limited vocabulary language, there are at least two words that are missing out of the gypsy language that breaks my heart. One of those words is the word hope. We don't have a word for hope, Pastor Kevin. What do you call a people who don't have a word for hope? Hopeless. And then in tandem, we don't have a word for future. We're people of the day. We live day by day. People of the earth, people of nature. Most of the times our people, I'm only one generation from the gypsy camp days in America. My dad was born in a camp in Baltimore, Maryland. A gypsy camp. No hope, no future. What do you do, Brother Stevens? How do you tell him about hope and future? I use the language uh, the host of the host nation that I'm preaching in. When I'm in Romania, I use the Romanian word for hope. Esperanza. When I'm in Romania, I use the Romanian word for future, Vitor. I do the same in Hungary. In the United States, I use the English word, hope and future. It, there, there is, without faith, there is no hope because Hebrew says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, we cannot please God. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith... It is impossible to please God. And the child of Christ is to exist by his or her faith. Now the just shall live by faith, Hebrews 10, 38. Now watch this now. God gives to every man a measure of faith, every man or woman. You find that in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. It's the starting place of faith. But God wants to increase our faith. And how is faith increased? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Since Wednesday night, you've been here during the missions conference, your faith should be increased. And especially tonight, when we're preaching on the subject of faith, your faith should be increased. So it is increased through the word of God, but it is granted through prayer because that's what we see in verse 5. That's a prayer. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. I hope that's your prayer tonight. As you contemplate your faith promise commitment, I hope that's your prayer. That you would pray to God that your faith would be increased. You're going to get the word. The faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. But you need to pray and ask God to increase your faith. Now, I've entitled the message, The Formula of Faith to be Increased. So let's see the formula. We'll start in verse 6. Now, you know what? Here's what's really surprising. When the, Lord, when the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith, he could have just said, faith increased. Hello? 
Huh? But he didn't. Instead, he gave them verses 6 through 10. So then, verses 6 through 10 must have something to do with verse 5. Did I lose you? So, so let's, let's connect it then. Here's verse 5, and the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. Watch what Jesus says. And the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say into this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the seed, and shall obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say to him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say to him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Does he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, here's the rubber hits the road, right here, this is us. So likewise, likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we our unprofitable servants, for we have done that which was our duty to do. Now, I want to give you four, three or four thoughts from those last verses of, of uh, 17, verses 6 through 10. Number one, and I have to start here, because there has to be a starting place of faith. Number one, faith must be experienced. Faith must be experienced. I'm at Cleveland Baptist Church on a Friday night. And I know that most in here have had an experience with faith, but maybe there's somebody here who has not. This is the starting place of faith. How, what is it? By being introduced to the person of faith. His name is Jesus. It is saving faith or mustard seed faith. Isn't that how Jesus described it here? It's saving faith or mustard faith. And this is childlike faith. For Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, he said, Verily I say unto you, watch closely now, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And someone would say, that's what I hate about you Baptists. You want us to leave our brains outside of the church before we come in. You want us to come in here and just be like little children, little robots, and do everything that you tell us to do. Why did Jesus say, unless you become as little children, you cannot be converted? Why did he say that? Because children have great faith. Your little babies don't worry about whether they're going to get something to eat. They don't worry about whether they're going to have heat in the winter or air conditioning in the summer. They don't worry if the doors and the windows of the little house are going to be locked before you all go to bed. They trust who? Mom and dad. So Jesus is saying, when you come to me, come to me with childlike faith, trusting me that I can save your soul, that I can guard your life, that I can give you an inner peace that the world does not understand. When I was a little boy, and mama would cross me the street, we'd get to the curb, never once, that I put my hand out and say, now, Mama, hold on there just a minute. i got to see if there's any cars coming. <laughs> no, I trusted Mama. That's the one who fed me. That's the one who clothed me. That's the one who put me to bed. And so when Mama, when I put my hand in Mama's hand, I trusted her that she was going to get me safely to the other side. And when we put our hand in the hand of the master, the Lord Jesus, we can trust him that he will faithfully get us to the other side. Amen. The question is, have you put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ? His death, his burial, his resurrection. The burial of Christ, the death of Christ proves that he was a man. But the resurrection of Christ proves that he is God. 
Have you trusted him? Quit trying to figure this salvation thing out. I heard one evangelist say that he got saved and he spent the rest of his life learning what Jesus did for him. We haven't touched the hem of the garment, have we? And so many times we come with a logical mind trying to figure it out. But Jesus said that we must come with the heart. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And you might say, well, I, I believe him in my heart. Well, then we have to understand what the heart really is. He's not talking about the muscle that sends the blood through our vascular system. The heart is the real you. It's a trinity. There's three components to the heart. The seat of your emotions, the seat of your intellect, and the seat of your will. That's the real you. And many people, Pastor Pete, they come to the gospel with a logical mind. They come intellectually. And they intellectually get saved because they got the information. Well, I got news for them. They're not saved. Some people come emotionally. They have an emotional experience. Their emotions are stirred. They think the tear has saved them. And I'm not against tears. But those who claim to be emotionally saved, they're not saved. Now I want you to listen to this closely. They're, the logic is involved because the gospel enters the ear. You ever heard this phrase? You can't get a man's heart until you get his ear. Because the gospel enters here. And then the mind digests the information of the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But watch now. The gospel is a very emotional story by the design of God. Some will say, Brother Walter, you're too, you're too dramatic when you preach about the cross. Oh, really? It's a pretty dramatic story by the design of God. It's meant to touch our heartstrings that we see the perfect Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, who came and drank in the sins of the world and died for you and I on Calvary's cross. It's an emotional story. When I think about the crown of thorns upon his sacred brow, when I think about the Roman cat of nine tails, that whip that whipped his back, when I think about his beard being pulled and the spittle on his face and the nails in his hands and his feet, crucified on a cross and hanging on that cross, he cried aloud and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's emotional. But some people get emotional saved. They're not really saved. You see, the three components of the heart have to work in unity. When the mind says, the intellect says, that's true. The heart is stirred and says, it's true. There needs to be an act of the will. When the will agrees with the mind and the emotions, and the will says, I want what my mind is telling me, I want what my emotions have agreed to, and we accept the Lord Jesus Christ and make a decision to open our heart. It's not that muscle that, that flows the blood through our vascular system. It's the real you. Amen. The seat of your mind, the seat of your intellect, the seat of your emotions, and the seat of your will. You must be born again, Jesus said. And he said that to a very religious man who knew the Bible like the back of his hand. And he said in John chapter 3, verse 3, he said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You say, I don't quite understand that born again stuff. Well, you better because without it, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said again to him, 
Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, we have to get that out of the way. Because that's where faith starts. But even mustard seeds are expected to grow. You see, this wasn't the first time that Jesus talked to the disciples about the mustard seed. Don't lose your place in the 17th chapter of Luke, but go to the 13th chapter of Luke. Just a few chapters before. And in the 13th chapter, in verse 18 and 9, we hear Jesus say this. Then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto it shall I resemble it? He's going to give a comparison here. Watch now. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden. And what did it do? It grew. And it waxed a great tree. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. You see, the mustard seed is expected to grow, so Christians are expected to mature. We plant the mustard seed of faith. Watch now, according to these two verses, we watch it to grow to become a great tree. It grows the branches for the resting place of others. It gives a shade to the weary. So number one, faith must be experienced. But watch number two, faith must be exercised. You'll see that in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 17. Go back. Faith must be exercised. Now, he lists some things here. In verse 10, he says, Likewise, when you've done those things which are commanded you, say we're our profitable servants. He said we're supposed to do duty. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now, watch now. The exercising of our faith is the practice of our faith. Is doing the duties of our faith. Using our faith. The very first step of faith after you've been saved, the first duty is baptism. Amen. By immersion. That's biblical baptism. Sprinkling is nowhere in the Bible. No infants were ever baptized in the word of God. And I've studied it from Genesis to Revelation. You have to be a believer. And those who have experienced faith, their first duty is baptism. Well, what is baptism? Baptism is, and there's a baptismal tank back there, believe it or not. We got some water, though. Baptism is symbolic. Jesus said that we're supposed to be, Paul said we're supposed to be buried in baptism. When we go into the water and we put our head back, it symbolizes the death of Christ. When we go under the water, it symbolizes the burial of Christ. When we come up out of the water, what does it symbolize? The resurrection of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. By design, when I'm baptized, I'm telling the church, this is what I believe, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's by Jesus' design. And he said for us to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We're exercising our faith. That's what he's telling them. You've asked for increased faith, didn't they, in verse 5? So here's what you got to do. In order for your faith to be increased, you need to do the duties of faith. That's what verses 6 through 10 is talking about. Help me, church. So baptism, church attendance. If you're not a member of the Cleveland Baptist Church, you're born again. If you've never been baptized, see Pastor Pete, I'm sure he'll arrange it. Not tonight, because that thing there. 
And then once you're scripturally baptized, you can be a member of the church. Church membership, prayer and Bible study. I had my Pakistan Bible study this morning. It's usually at 7.30 in the morning, but because of the time change now, it's 8.30 in the morning. It's 5.30 in the evening in Pakistan. And uh, sometimes it's 6.30 in the morning. I want to do it in my pajamas, but it's a video. <laughs> and we had 25 in attendance in our Gypsy Pakistan Bible study. And you know, it's, it's, it's such a wonderful thing, Pastor Pete, to watch these gypsies in Pakistan flip through the word of God looking for the verses. Such a blessing. Church attendance and membership, prayer and Bible study, witnessing our faith is a duty of faith. Tithing, giving of our income to the work of the Lord, giving to faith promise is part of the duties of faith. Like, I think I got two amens out of that, but that's okay, I'll let it go. Did you hear the, the joke about the dollar bill and the $50 bill and the $100 bill having a conversation? You ever heard that story? And so the, the $50 bill, the $100 bill, and the dollar bill, they're talking. And, uh, and the dollar and the $50 bill says to the $100 bill, $100 bill, where have you been? What have you been doing? And the $100 bill says, I've been all over the world. I've flown in the largest jets. I've stayed in the finest hotels. And I've eaten in the finest restaurants. And the $100 bill and the $50 bill say to the, uh, the $100 bill and the $1 bill say to the $50 bill, $50 bill, where have you been? And the $50 bill says, I've been all across America. I've stayed in some good hotels and I've eaten in some good restaurants. And the $100 bill and the $50 bill say to the $1 bill, $1 bill, where have you been? And the $1 bill says, church, church, church. That's all I ever see is church. And if you ever counted the offering, you know it's no laughing matter. Sometimes we tip the waitress at Cracker Barrel more than we give to the house of the Lord. Shame on us. Giving is part of the duties of faith. So number one, we said that faith needs to be experienced. Number two, according to the response to their request in verse five, that we need to do the duties of faith. How exciting doing the first duties of our faith. I remember when I wrote my first tithing check. Pastor Pete, what an honor. I wanted to make the check out to Jehovah. <laughs> to write that tithing check. Say, I get to give back to God. I owe him so much. A debt that I cannot pay. But you know what? I, make, I want to make a deposit on the account. Writing our, that first check, our first steps as babes in Christ. Great victories. Victories to remember. But how long can we live in the past of great victories? When it's only the beginning stages of a life of great faith. There's more to a life of increased faith. If only first steps of faith and duty. Jesus said, we are unprofitable servants. Hello? Verse 10. If all we've done is duty. We are unprofitable, sir. We've only done that what is commanded. We've only done that which is expected. We've only done our duty. Now watch now. For in the search of an increased faith, there's more. And what do we say? In response to verse 5, we said that faith needs to be experienced. That's mustard seed. Number two, we said faith needs to be exercised. That's doing the duties of faith. That's basic Christian life, by the way. But number three, and this is the point that separates the Christian men from the Christian boys. Faith needs to be extended. This is the faith that 
goes beyond that which is explainable. It caused Peter to cast his nets after a bad night of fishing because Jesus said so. They fished, they toiled all the night, Peter said, and they've caught nothing. Peter was a professional fisherman. He knew when the fish were biting and when they weren't. And he was done. Matter of fact, the Bible says that their nets were clean and hanging out to dry. They were ready to go home. Peter was going to go home to mama for, with breakfast. She was waiting for him with bacon and eggs. No, wait a minute. He's Jewish. He don't eat bacon. <laughs> but because Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side. Now we know Jesus said nets, plural. And Peter only cast the net. And we're always hard on Peter because he only cast the net. But you know what? He cast something. Maybe you need to cast something on that faith promise card. It may not be nets, but by faith it might be a net. Because Jesus said so. This is Joshua walking around Jericho's walls with a mighty armor, army. And God says you're going to drop that wall with horns and with trumpets. This is getting fighting a war with trumpets, lamps, and pictures. This is what the Bible calls deep water faith. Psalm chapter 107. If you want to go there, it's in my outline. I'm going to get there before you. Psalm chapter 107, verses 23 and 24. And you need to learn Psalm chapter 107. It's a wonderful chapter. You'll find yourself somewhere in Psalm chapter 107. It's like a mirror. But watch, watch what the Lord says. They that go down to the sea in ships. It's Psalm chapter 107, verse 23 and 24. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters... Watch now, verse 24. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. The word wonder and the word miracle is the same. You know what, church? There are no miracles at the shoreline. It doesn't take any faith to stay on the shoreline. Because when the, when the winds blow and the rains fall and the water begins to rise, you can run home to mama. But it's out in the deep water of faith that we see the wonders of the Lord, the miracles of the Lord, when he suspends the natural to perform that which is the supernatural. I'm going to ask you, church, when's the last time you saw a miracle in your life? We saw one last night, didn't we, Pastor Pete? $50,000. That's not a natural thing, by the way. <laughs> it's the suspension of the natural to perform that which is supernatural. When's the last time you've seen a miracle? A wonder. As a missionary working with my people, I have to have a miraculous Christian life. You know what the greatest miracle is? When a person gets saved. Amen. It's the suspension of the natural to perform that which is supernatural. For the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, neither can he discern them. It's when the natural man becomes supernatural, being regened with the genes of God. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. A famous man once said, you cannot swim for new horizons until you have courage to lose sight of the shore. Faith promises about you losing sight of the shore. It's about getting out into the deep waters of faith where you can't touch bottom. You say, preacher, I know what you want me to do. You want me to just jump out there like these missionaries are doing. You want me to just jump out like this family going to Halifax, Nova Scotia, or, or the family that's going to Zimbabwe. You want us just to jump out there. Well, if God tells you to, do it. But there's another way to get out there. One step at a time. 
Hello. That's how Ezekiel got out into the deep water. Remember? Ezekiel got out into the water. It was ankle deep. Maybe you can go only go out ankle deep. That's all the faith you have. Your faith is increased and you can go out ankle deep. But Ezekiel went out to the water, was knee high. Remember that? I don't think you remember. You never read the book of Ezekiel? <laughs> and he went out to his knee high. Maybe that's all the faith you have. You'll come to these altars and say, God, I have knee high faith. I'm going to take advantage of that knee high faith and I'm going to make a commitment to you in the faith promise. But then Ezekiel went out to the water, was waist high. Hello? And then eventually Ezekiel got out there and it says the water was so deep, it was a water to swim in. He got out there where you couldn't touch bottom. Out there where the big boys swim. Out there where you have to live by faith because you can swim for a while, you can tread water for a while, but it's going to come to a place where you're going to have to trust God and live by faith. And you know what? According to Psalm chapter 107, that's where you see the wonders of the Lord. That's where you see the miracles of God. It's amazing, missionaries, how we have to live so much more by faith on the foreign field than we do at home. Huh? You say, why is that? When we're in a foreign land. Especially when you're in a country where you don't know the language. I remember one time I was at a train station. I needed a ticket to Bucharest, Romania. And I prayed. I said, God, send me someone who speaks some English. This is right after the fall of communism. They weren't speaking English. They were speaking Russian. But they weren't speaking I said, pray, I pray, Lord, give me someone. And by the way, it's the international ticket booth. But they didn't speak different languages. And I prayed. Train station was full. And I prayed, God, send me someone that speaks English, please. And before you know it, I'm standing in line. I'm praying. There's a big, tall guy. Looks like he's a Swede right behind me. I said, I said sir, do you speak English? He says, yes, I do, with an accent. I said, could you help me buy my ticket? He says, sure. It was a long line. We're living by faith now. We're in a foreign country, strange land. And so while we're waiting in line, we, started, we stroke up a conversation. I said, hey, what are you doing here in Romania? He says, I'm a musician. I said, oh, really? What kind of music do you play? Gypsy music. <laughs> you see this little man right next to me? He's a gypsy. I turned to him and said, Homsan. That means, are you a gypsy? He said, home soon. He told me he is a gypsy. God didn't just send me an English speaker. He sent me a gypsy speaker. That's a wonder in the deep. Hello. Amen. Wouldn't you like to see miracles like that in your life? I, I, can, I can go on. Preacher, pastor, I could go on and on all night long with miracles like that. But you won't see those miracles at the shoreline. Here's the problem with most Christians. You ready? Say, we're ready, preacher. We're ready. Good, you're here. After Paul saw the vision of the Macedonian in Acts chapter 16. Remember, it's only Paul who saw him. The Macedonian said, come over into Macedonia and help us, right? Now, already he had made two attempts to go someplace else, and the Spirit didn't let him, right? And God was faithful. I believe there was a missionary on his face before God there saying, God, if it's not Bithynia, if it's not Asia, then you need to show me where. And God gave him the vision of the Macedonian. Only Paul could describe the Macedonian to you. But here's what Dr. Luke writes. After he had seen the vision, who saw it? Paul. After he had seen the vision, we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Did you see the change? 
after he had seen the vision, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. Watch now. The call is singular. The vision is singular. Pastor Pete stands up here and says, we need to go to this country. We need to go to this people. We need to print this Bible. He said, preacher, I don't see it. I just can't see it. Well, I have a philosophy I live by. When you can't see, hang on to somebody who can see until you get your vision. It works. And so Luke says that that singular vision became plural after he, we, us went into Macedonia. Now watch. Here's the problem with most Christians. You ready? They still have their boats tied to the dock. Because right after the Macedonian vision, here's what Luke writes. Therefore we loosed from Troas and came with a straight course to Semithriasia. And the gospel entered Europe for the first time. Amen. Do you know how the gospel came here? From Europe. Because of that Macedonian caller. Faith not only needs to be experienced. Faith not only needs to be exercised. But watch now. Faith needs to be extended in this day and age in which we live. We need some extended faith, Christians. It's not going to happen until God's people come on their knees before the Lord and say what the apostles said in the fifth verse of Luke 17. Lord, increase our faith. Could you imagine what kind of an army we would have in our churches if they were packed with increased faith Christians? Pastor Pete, you wouldn't have to twist anybody's arm for the faith promise. They wouldn't need a card. They would just put it in the offering plate. This is faith and above, above and beyond the call of duty. Church attendance can become duty. It doesn't have to be. Giving and serving can become duty. It doesn't have to be. Winning souls can become duty. It doesn't have to be. This is stretching your faith because this is faith above and beyond human comprehension. As Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. This is more than mere duty faith. This is church not just on Sunday but every time the church doors are open. This is not this tithes, this tithes and offerings. This is what the Bible teaches as second mile faith. I don't want you to lose your place in Luke 17, but very quickly, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see it. Here our Lord is preaching that great sermon in Matthew chapter 5. I want you to look at verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5. Watch what Jesus says. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy cloak, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Watch now, verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the other. For ye have loved them which love you. What reward have you? Do not even 
the public is the same. Verse 47, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the public is also. Now watch verse 48. Be you therefore perfect. You know what that word perfect means? Mature, complete in a whole. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This is second mile faith. One cheek is, is duty. Turning the other is faith. Giving the coat is one uh, is, uh, is duty. Giving the cloak is faith. Watch now. Going one mile is duty. Going two miles is faith. Let me illustrate it this way. Say there's a little Jewish boy who heard Jesus preach that. And we know the little Jewish boys went to hear Jesus preach because we know one who gave his lunch. Hello. And so let's say there's a little Jewish boy who heard Jesus preach. And he's on his way home after that, and he's heard that sermon and all that Jesus said there. And as he's going home, a Roman soldier stops him and says, Hey, Jew boy, carry my armor. And we all know by Roman law that he had to carry the armor how far? One mile. I often wondered, Pastor Pete, how they knew when they came to the end of a mile. But even in Romania today, there are Mara markers because it was under Roman control. So they're walking down the Judean roads on a hot sunny day and they come to the end of the mile and what does the Roman soldier expect the Jew boy to do? Give him his armor. But the little Jew boy says to the Roman soldier, you know what? I'm going to go with you another mile. And the pork-eating Roman says to the Jew boy, why are you going another mile? Do you think he might have told the Roman soldier about the sermon that he just heard. Huh? See, in the second mile, you'll have the opportunity to show your faith and you'll have the opportunity to share your faith. We need second mile Christians who are willing to go above and beyond the call of duty. The extended faith Christian does more than duty because he is an extended faith Christian. I need to finish. There's a bonus to all this. First, we said faith must be experienced, need to be born again, need to be saved. Faith must be exercised, doing the duties of faith. Faith needs to be extended. That's faith above and beyond the call of duty, doing the unexplainable out in the deep waters. But there's a bonus to the extended faith Christian. You will see the evidence of your faith. An increased faith Christian will see the evidence of the faith because you will see God doing miracles in the deep waters of faith. But here's what also you will see. You will see your liberty in Christ doing the unusual. Because the first mile is the law. But the second mile is liberty. The tithe is already calculated for you. You don't need a calculator, a piece of paper, and a pencil. But watch now. Faith promise is liberty. It's between you and God and nobody else. You will see your love for Christ as did Abraham in giving of his son Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. Do you know we don't know what Abraham was thinking until we get into the New Testament? Abraham thought that God would raise Isaac from the dead after he had given him as a sacrifice. He had all intentions of the world to give Isaac as a sacrifice. What do you think Abraham might have been thinking coming down that mountain? Man, I must really love God. You will see the works and wonders of God in your life. In your church, your community, your nation, in your world, 
you will see your obedience to Christ and your faith will be increased. And our prayer tonight should be, as the apostles cried out to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith.